Hello and welcome to Wine Blast, the wine show that isn't afraid to have a laugh, to be irreverent and to bust the odd myth along the way. Mm, well, I mean, that's part of the fun, isn't it? I mean, life would be very boring if nothing changed. And, and sometimes feathers need a bit of a ruffle, uh, which is most definitely what we'll be doing in this programme because we're asking the question... Is the wine community labouring under serious misconceptions when it comes to geology and rocks and how they influence wine? Um, is the wine world being misleading, willfully or not, about all of this? So, all wine lovers are familiar with the notion of terroir, how a specific place can produce a wine with distinctive characteristics. Frequently, descriptions of terroir mention the underlying geology. Mm. Granite, limestone, slate, sometimes with a qualifying geological age, Devonian, Jurassic, Kimmeridgian, maybe even other complexing factors like mineral content. In the wider wine world, geology is pretty much kind of accepted as part of the terroir picture. Yeah, and, and we know this from first-hand experience, don't we? You know, as a wine journalist out in the field, it's quite common these days to be invited to clamber down into a soil pit, that most glamorous of places, <laughs> uh, which is essentially a hole dug several metres down. As long as they don't start filling it in while you're in there. In, in, in the middle of a vineyard, um, so you can inspect the soil and subsoil and have a scratch around. Possibly the underlying <laughs> geology or bedrock might be, might be visible too. And, and you often hear people talking or writing about how wines will taste different off, for example, schist versus limestone. I had to say that very carefully. Um, <laughs> it's a message that many wine producers, even wine labels, promote. And the, the issue is even further complicated when people start talking about minerality when tasting wine. Mm. I mean, some people mm. even make the specific connection between the underlying ge geology and these so-called mineral characters. All of this, of course, begs the question, how? How might these things be connected? What are the mechanisms at work? How is the vine interacting with what's below ground? And more importantly, what effect might this be having on the wine in your glass? Or equally, is it really having any effect at all? So these are the big questions we want to ask, and we've got two experts to help shed some light on the matter. Uh, Professor Alex Maltman and Dr. Hirt-Jan Wies, uh, both are professional geologists and wine lovers who have written books on this very subject. And what they have to say is fascinating. Soil and geology does have this charisma. And in these days of industrial anonymous foodstuffs and things, the idea that you're drinking this wine from a specific area and it's linked to the soil. I mean, what could be more viscerally satisfying than that? It's all good fun and uh, I don't want to spoil the party, but... But I think we've got to keep things in proportion. It is rather overhyped. You just don't discern the difference of soil in the wine. I think it is for a large part just a marketing tool. I just don't believe it. And it's not even that, that, that I don't believe it. The science doesn't support it. Some people say you're, you're destroying the romantics of wine by telling this story. And I think, well, why are we closing our eyes for the facts? Being open about it and communicating about it, I think, makes it much, much more interesting than telling romantic bullocks. 
Okay, so this is definitely going to be an intriguing episode. Uh, but before we get going, we did want to give a bit of context, didn't we? Mm, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so the context. We, we talked briefly, didn't we, about geology and volcanic soils in our Santorini programmes. And then this notion of minerality in wine we touched on in our New Zealand Chardonnay episode, mm-hmm. as well as the, the, the Santorini episode. So, you know, all of this got us thinking we should probably address these issues, which are big and often quite confusing or complex matters when it comes to wine. Yep. So we, we um, decided to do a, a loosely connected series of episodes, didn't mm. we? Uh, so, I mean, you could call them myth busting, but you could also just call them timely reappraisals or stuff we wine lovers should be aware of and at least discussing. Mm, sort of water cooler topics, maybe, <laughs> if such things still exist in cooler. the modern workplace. Maybe wine cooler wine topics, cooler. don't you think? That's a we nice can't have idea. a water cooler oh, topic well, in wine well, blast. No one, would get, no one would get any work done if you have a wine cooler <laughs> in, in the office, would you? Anyway, anyway, it stops, stops. And, and so these are going to be episodes on things like geology mm. and what's meant by minerality in wine, uh, but then also the underappreciated role of microbiology and yeasts in terms of wine, wine style and, and flavour, mm. and maybe a few more things too, uh, which are all vaguely related, uh, but we're going to take them, aren't we, one at a time? Yeah, so keep your ears tuned. Um, they won't be sequential. We'll just drop them in occasionally. Um, you know, the idea is to challenge accepted thinking or preconceptions, at the very least sort of help clarify certain things and get us all thinking and talking about the important stuff you know um and and on that note you know i I think we should say it's worth adding that right from the start we are not trying to be deliberately controversial or sensationalist with this program with this kind of mini series as it were you know we love asking questions and sometimes we feel quite strongly there are perceptions that need questioning yeah such as Geology and wine. Exactly. Um, so wine is wine is a subject where you're asked to take a, a lot on face value, mm. um, and accepted views are often unquestioningly championed as gospel. Uh, but our understanding of wine and how it's made is constantly changing and evolving. Mm. And as it does so, certain things just need reevaluating. So I think in general terms, we'd all agree. There's more and more focus on the vineyard these days in wine, which is a good thing. You know, there was a time when it was all about the winemaker, but now we increasingly talk about site, about soil, vines, you know, and the terroir, especially the time when we need to focus on and prioritise the natural world. This is good. But what's also happening is we're starting to ask more questions about why certain things happen in the vineyards and how this affects the resulting wine. Mm. Uh, Scientific research is certainly throwing up some intriguing results which are changing our understanding of all of this. But when tradition or accepted wisdom collides with difficult questions that challenge the orthodoxy, then... Sparks can fly. (laughs) Can they not? They can. You know, so we got a bit of a taste of this, didn't we? Uh, We did. On Twitter. Where else? Uh, (laughs) When I was on the sharp end of some, I don't know, sort of maybe fairly defensive remarks might be be the best Mm. way to tell them on this subject after I put out what I thought was a fairly innocuous tweet to research this episode. Mm, An innocuous tweet. (laughs) Go on. Tell us what you said. Okay. So I tweeted, um, help please, uh, trying to find winemakers who think the importance of soil slash geology is overstated for wine. Um, and that's in- innocent enough, isn't it? Nothing is innocent on Twitter, <laughs> I've come to to the conclusion. Uh, yeah, but but this yeah. did set off a bit of a 
Twitter storm, didn't it? Did, it did, yeah. I, I mean, I think I unwittingly touched a nerve with wine Twitter. Um, sometimes, you, you know, sometimes you try to do it. Sometimes, I definitely wasn't here. I was just asking for, for contest, you know. But a lot of the reaction was pretty negative, um, as if this was sort of a heretical notion. I should be somehow ashamed to endorse or even utter. But you weren't um, endorsing anything. No. I mean, you really weren't. You were just asking a question. Exactly quite right. So, you know, um, so I just, want to, I just want to say, you know, here are a couple of verbatim reactions to my question, which was just a reminder of I'm trying to find winemakers who think the importance of soil or geology is overstated for wine. These were some of the reactions. Never going to happen because it ain't true. Leave it! Exclamation mark. Is this a joke? You'll hit a wall right there, sunshine. <laughs> That was that was that was a particular favourite. Um, another one was doesn't surprise me. You're finding you have to search far and wide for them because it's not not for the wines I care about anyway. Uh, so some people clearly thought I was attacking the concept of organic farming or even the notion of terroir itself. You know, one well-known winemaker was quite abrupt, abrupt and he just said, "Geology is the be-all and end-all of everything wine." Full stop. Which I suppose is is a telling reaction in itself that geology slash soil is so important in terroir. Yeah, indeed, indeed. I mean, there may have been, you know, if I'd have said just geology, it might have been different. I think mm. throwing soil in there was a bit of a yeah, because they bit are bit of a curveball. We know they the are, difference. Obviously, we know they the difference. are different. Yeah. Sometimes they're conflated. This is important. We'll come yeah, on to this, but we will yeah. come on to it anyway. I mean. This wasn't everyone's view, that's also important to say, but it was clear that even to raise the question about the role of geology in soil and wine immediately got people going. You know, clearly this is a live theme and quite a controversial one. You know, only some people were positive, but only a few. Um, And there were quite a few remarks along the lines of this one, which is sort of, as this is a huge marketing argument, especially for single vineyard wines, I suspect you're going to have a hard time with this whether it's true or not. But I think this this kind of um, entrenched opinion is why we wanted to look into this, isn't mm, yeah, it? Um, we're not the first to question this relationship between geology and wine, and, and yet you regularly read books, articles, tasting notes, even in well-respected publications, mm. also wine labels and winery materials, making this connection between geology or, or minerals and wine without much of an explanation. Yeah, so I've got a couple of examples here of, of things that have been written recently in the wine press, which we've come across. So well, here's you've one. come across. I've um, mm-hmm. this. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> wines made by Domain X. I'm not going to say the name, but it might be quite obvious. Wines made by Domain X take their minerality from nano diamonds created by the impact of a meteor strike more than 10,000 years ago. I mean, that's just <laughs> bonkers. Really? Where do we start with that one? Anyway, so let's just move on. Another one is... The diversity of these limestone soils imparts varying nuances to the wines. Well, we definitely heard lots of things like that yeah, before. You do. Yeah, and that's very normal. One. The schist wines conveyed notes of crushed stone and pounded rock, whereas the minerality of the limestone wines was finer, sweeter, more powdery. So... Those are just a few examples. You know, you don't struggle, you won't struggle to find more out there. No, OK. So so I think at this point we need to bring in our first guest. Uh, Professor Alex Maltman is a geologist who for 40-odd years did research and taught at the University of Aberystwyth in Wales. He's also a wine lover who's travelled the wine world, taking great interest not just in the wines and vineyards, but also their geology. And his book on this subject is Vineyards, Rocks and Soils, The Wine Lover's Guide to Geology. Snappy. Uh, now, the reason he wrote the book was because, in his words, it's become very fashionable to mention vineyard geology and minerality in wine. You know, actually, if you go back at quite a while, well, 100 years or so, people didn't talk about geology. Mm-hmm. They actually didn't talk about minerality in wine. So anyway, that's something else we come on to. But, you know, this has created problems. Firstly, wine people quite frequently get geology just plain wrong. 
in Alex's words, which he says is understandable because it's a very complex, often highly conceptual subject, which I wasn't aware of, but I am now after reading the book. Um, then also, you know, he says connections are being made between wines and geology that, to his mind, are at best exaggerated and certainly never really explained satisfactorily. So he wanted to write this book sort of both as a geology primer for wine people and one which raised important questions. And it really, I mean, it is a really educational book, it isn't really it? It really is. It um, really is. Even yeah. if you've kind of been aware of this and studied it a little yeah. bit, it's really educational. And it's, it's also one that's not afraid to be controversial and, and challenge these, these accepted connections between geology and wine. Mm -hmm. So he says, for example, about people suggesting they can taste minerality from the soils in their wine. He says it's scientifically untenable for at least two reasons. One... Vine roots are incapable of absorbing the solid, complex compounds that make the rocks and soils of a vineyard. And two, geologic minerals are generally tasteless and odourless anyway. <laughs> and he adds, most of what we taste in wine is produced during vinification. This is what primarily sets wines apart, not what the roots absorb. So it's the winemaking, really. It's making the wine, not the, not the geology yeah, I mean, or, the, or the minerals. But anyway, yeah, yeah. So most. It's equally important to say he is happy with minerality, just like many other tasting terms, as a metaphor. Yeah. Use it as, now I'm going yeah, yeah. to... But, I need but, to yeah. you know, this is something we're going to come back yeah. to. What do you, what do you want it to is say? something we're going to come back to, but, but I do use that, that term, minerality or mineral. I do. My thing is that I've used it for such a long time and I kind of know what I mean by it. And it's it's a flavour and a smell, a, a taste. But it, you know, I'm not saying I can taste the minerals from the soil. No. I think probably what I need to do is is reassess it and try and find new ways of describing yeah, it. Yeah, I think would this is the thing. Make it clear to, a, well, to a, an audience, you know, what you're talking is, about. You might be clear about I what know what it is. That, but yeah. other people don't. Yeah, no, other what, people what mean I, different yeah. things when yeah. they say minerality and yeah. other people still understand yeah. different things by minerality. So yeah. it's just a very ambiguous term. It is. And, and to be honest, it's slightly lazy because it's a bit catch-all. It's a little bit. So I could it's find many words one. instead. If we could be specific about it, it could actually be a useful tasting term yeah. anyway. Anyway, uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. We are going to, this is such an interesting subject, we're going to do a whole programme on this. So yes, we, we will, will come we will, back we will, we will, we will. <laughs> <laughs> um, but can I just also add that, that Alex makes the point about this term petrichor, mm. which um, some people clearly love and me included, I have to say, because it refers to the smell of warm ground after rain or after it's been made wet. And we all know that smell. Um, it's just, you just know immediately, <laughs> don't you? Yeah, yeah. So, but, he, but he is clear, despite the name, it doesn't come from the minerals or rocks, but from the vaporisation of certain organic oils. Mm. In other words, the smell is produced by organic processes, not the geology. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I but I still like it, petrichor. It's a great name. You I think love... you can just smell it, can't you? That, that yeah, warm. You can. It's, it's such it's an, an evocative it, idea. It? But the word petrichor, I love the yeah. word petrichor too. It petrichor. sounds like a sort of Harry Potter it sort does, of spell, does, doesn't, it, doesn't it? Anyway, picking up on a similar logic, Professor Mortman also says that when wine people try to explain how wines from neighbouring sites made in similar ways taste different, what he says is, if the soils are different, then it's very tempting to pounce on that as the reason because they're easily visible. Uh, he talks about the charisma of geology, uh, but how other things like small but potentially important differences in air velocity, UV intensity, spectral wavelength and microbiology 
make for less exciting journalism. Mm. Anyway, for, for all of this, he doesn't say geology is unimportant for mm. wine. Mm. First and foremost, it determines the landscape and it also impacts the vine in terms of drainage and water availability, not to mention influencing things like nutrients, soil temperature, reflected light and pH. Mm. But his point is that it's hard to explain how the actual geology or bedrock influences wine style in any material or significant mm. way, certainly in the way many people suggest. Yeah, yeah. He does have the science is always evolving, so there could be more to discover on this front, you know, including relating to the microbiology of site, mm-hmm. which is really Yeah, that is interesting, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. But in the meantime, he says, for me at least, simply saying a wine comes from a particular rock doesn't convey anything about what I might expect from a wine. So, anyway... Let's hear from the man himself. Mm. Uh, now, I, I have to mention here, don't I? There is, there is a funny moment in this interview. Oh, right. Um, yeah, sorry, I can't resist <laughs> mentioning this. Uh, and it's, it's to do with a certain confusion yeah. over pronunciation between hummus, the Greek chickpea dip, and humus, the organic content of soil largely made up of decomposing plants and animal yeah, matter. Yeah, let's not confuse the two. Anyway, we've, <laughs> we've left it in so you guys can have a laugh at Peter's expense. So yeah, we hope you yeah, enjoy that. Yeah, uh, yeah. But our first serious question for Alex was, why do people ascribe differences in wine to geology and soil? Soil and geology does have this charisma. And in these days of industrial anonymous foodstuffs and things. The idea that you're drinking this wine from a specific area and it's linked to the soil. I mean, what could be more viscerally satisfying than that? And so promoters know this, journalists know this. And so, yeah, it's hit hard and uh, it sounds good. I absolutely get this. It sounds good. And uh, I really wish it were right that I could support it. I mean, I'm a geologist. I'd love to be pushing my subject. But when I look at the science, I'm afraid I've got to conclude it it is rather overhyped. You know, at one point in the book, you refer to fool's gold or pyrite. Uh, You also say tasting rocks and geologic minerals in wine has to be imaginary. Um, Is focusing too much on vineyard geology a kind of fool's gold for wine writers, wine promoters, wine marketers? Fool's gold. I've never heard it put that way. It's all good fun, and uh, I don't want to spoil the party, but, but I think we've got to keep things in proportion. All these claims about about the vineyard geology, they're never accompanied by an explanation of how it works. Uh, and that troubles me. Well, why doesn't somebody explain it? Uh, and when I look at how a vine does interact with the soil, I can't see how it can work in the way that's often being claimed. And hence my difficulty. I mean, and, and just, just to go into this, though, I mean, you make the point clearly in the book that, you know, vines are limited in their uptake of, of minerals from the soil. And in any case, a lot of these geologic minerals have no flavour or taste in any sense. That's right. Um, uh, we've got to distinguish, which I made a point of in the book, between geological minerals, the complex compounds usually, well, pyrite's an example that you just mentioned, that help make the ground, make half the soil, the physical framework, wholly insoluble, and therefore, because they can't dissolve in water, cannot get into the vine, because the vine roots can only take in water, and things dissolved in the water. So these geological minerals cannot get in the vine, and by the same token, they cannot taste. 
So that is right. But from those complex compounds, geological minerals, nature has ways of freeing some of the constituent elements, getting those dissolved in water. And so the vine can take these up. And these are the things that we call nutrient minerals or just minerals. But minerals in that sense are single elements dissolved in water, can get in the vine, can't get in the wine, but they're not the same thing as the geological minerals. So this whole mineral word is a, is a bit of a tricky one because it has these two different meanings. And also, as you'll be well aware, the third meaning in the taste sense, I'm getting minerals, minerality, the famous enigmatic minerality. This mineral word is a bit of a, yeah, bit of a powder keg of misunderstanding, really. And the other side of the coin, as you indicated, is that all those factors that we do know influence how a grape ripens and develops flavor precursors, which will eventually flavor the wine. The factors to do with climate, ultraviolet light intensity and things like this, well, they're never mentioned, partly because, as you said, they're invisible, and partly because they're technical, not good reading, and not nearly as much fun, not nearly as charismatic as saying granite soils, limestone soils. But I do think that's what the science tells us. Ultraviolet light intensity, duration in a day, and air temperature, root temperature, grape temperature, all these things are things that do influence flavor compounds, but they're just not much fun to read about. Uh, and I'm afraid that's the, <laughs> the fact of the matter. Can you talk to us just very briefly about soils? Um, why, you know, how the main ways in which soils are important to the vine, but also to wine, and also just touch briefly on, on the role of hummus in 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 that. I think we'd better call it humus. Let's call it. Let's call it humus. <laughs> Otherwise, it gets confused with chickpea puree and stuff. Hummus. Um, yeah, humus is the organic fraction. Again, it's something we don't talk about very much, or wine people don't talk about, but that's the key, really. And that's what makes the material soil. Soil essentially is just disintegrated rock, fragmented rock. And that makes about half of a typical soil. It's just this loose debris. The moon is covered with this sort of stuff, disintegrated rock, like the other planets. Stuff won't grow in it partly because there's no water, but also because there's no humus. And plants need humus to grow. One reason is that they need more than anything in terms of these nutrients, nitrogen. And rocks don't have nitrogen in them. <laughs> Oddly enough, the air is full of nitrogen, of course, but plants can't extract that nitrogen from the air. They have to rely on bacteria working in the humus. And if the soil doesn't have humus, then it can't get the nitrogen and to some extent phosphorus and sulfur as well. So you've got to have that humus there. And in nature, it forms from recycling last year's growth with its nutrients in it. So at the end of the growing season, the leaves fall off the trees and the vegetation rots down. Little creatures feed on this and they die. And so it uh, creates humus and the nutrients are recycled on the forest floor or whatever to produce new nutrients for next year's growth. <laughs> this is something else we never talk about in, in wine, really. In any agriculture, 
the farmer extracts crops year on year and therefore is pulling nutrients out of the system rather than recycling them. And so as every gardener, as every farmer knows, if you're harvesting crops, you've got to put stuff back in the soil. Otherwise, the soil rapidly depletes after a few years. They learned that in the Dust Bowl in the States in the 30s, famously. You've got to put goodness back in the soil. Humus, you know, compost, animal manure, synthetic fertilizer, if you must. But you've got to put stuff back in the soil. And it's from that that the vine is getting its nutrients rather than the geology, because this breaking down the geology to make soil and release nutrients is far too slow to produce new nutrients year on year. So it's it's last year's pomace or last year's fallen off leaves and stems or cover cro- decayed cover crops, weeds, that the vines are getting their nutrients from. But of course, wine tasters, when they're swirling their glass and saying, yeah, the nutrients I can, I can get, these are coming from the granite, from the la-. They're not. But year on year in practice, those nutrient minerals that did make it through to the finished wine probably originated in decayed Vegetative material, humus, that doesn't sound very romantic, does it? And so we turn a blind eye to it. So we're perfectly happy. Can I just throw in something else that we always turn a blind eye to in this context? Rootstock. We've got to demand the roots. We enthuse all the time about Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and the rest of it. But really, it's the roots that are doing the business there in the soil. And you can bet they're not going to be the same as that cultivar, there's going to be grafting involved because of pests and diseases, phylloxera in particular, as you know. Uh, and so almost certainly the rootstocks are not even the same species as the, the the grapevine that we see and that we love to talk about. But we never hear, I mean, when did you last hear a sommelier enthuse about Richter 110 or 41B? But, but those are the engine rooms down in the soil. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. We, we, we're very happy talking about sexy limestone and granite, but actually not so happy talking about the manure or the weeds or the fertiliser or the rootstock. You're absolutely right. Um, for all of this, you can see geology isn't unimportant in wine. So what are the major ways in which geology affects the vine and wine? Well, it, it makes the soil fundamentally, and the soil is crucial for the growing vine. The grower will need to know about his soil, its pH, its depth, it will govern his management system. Uh, the main way in which the soil is relevant is water. And essentially, it needs a balance of good drainage, yet some way of conserving sufficient water to see the vine through the arid, usually growing season. Uh, and so the soil will be important on that, because how the grapes swell and ripen will have a lot to do indirectly with the final wine. The trouble is, many rocks give those conditions. No rock has a monopoly on that. Uh, and if the soils aren't quite up to snuff in that respect, well, the grower will do his best to improve it, put in drains if necessary, and certainly in much of the world, if uh, the water supply isn't quite right, irrigate. And as you'll know, irrigation systems these days are pretty sophisticated things. And so the geology is sort of overridden, so to speak. So in principle, the water is the big contribution. In practice, well, there are these caveats that I just mentioned. 
There's also now talk of, of microbial terroir. Um, can you talk a bit about that and how geology might have an influence on that? Well, there's some evidence that certain bacteria and algae and things like certain chemistries, like certain minerals and therefore certain rocks. It's little more than an idea at the moment, certainly in vineyards. So there may be some connection, but there is this growing feeling that, yeah, the microbes in the soil linked with the air, where yeasts particularly are important, may be very variable from site to site and therefore playing a big part of terroir. But again, as we said at the beginning, invisible, technical, uh, and easy to disregard in popular writings. But at the technical side of things, it may be that these microbes, soil and air microbes, particularly yeast, because yeast is another thing we don't talk about very much. You know, yeast is the big one in the winemaking that determines what the wine's going to be like. Yeast is complicated. So it may be, as the technology improves to get to grips with all these uh, microbiological things, that we learn more about, about how important they are for what the wine is like. And you concede for all of this that certain sites do seem better than others for wine, that, that science has maybe yet to explain. Um, you also say that geology may not affect the wine in your glass much, but it may enhance how you think about it. Uh, and in your final sentence of the book, you talk about the wonder of it all. What do you mean by that? Oh, wine is complicated, far more complicated then still we realize science has made great inroads, whether you like it or not, but still quite bewildering in its complexity how this plant can produce this wonderful product. And as you say, part of that wonder is how much it varies from site to site. I've got to say that one of the things I most misunderstood on and misquoted on is terroir. I've, I'm a good, Terroir is obvious to me. It's self-evident. Every gardener knows that certain plants do better in one site than another site. And that's the coming together of all these factors, terroir. I've never said anything against terroir, despite what the web likes to say. But um, this coming together, that's, that's well, how does it work? All these factors, as we keep saying, many of which are invisible and difficult, but they come together to characterize a site and potentially the products of that site. And um, when we hook that in, as I tried to say at the end of the book, with the big picture of our planet and how it works and how the solid planet interacts with biology, well, that's, that's the wonder of it all. Alex, thank you very much indeed. Okay, Peter, absolutely my pleasure. Okay, so we don't know everything. Mm. You know, there's still a lot to be explained, even potentially when it comes to the link between geology and wine. But in the meantime, it's true, we don't really talk that much about compost or manure <laughs> or fertiliser or rootstocks or how the geology and soil are manipulated or overridden by human mm. intervention, like irrigating or installing drainage or adding nutrients, mm. for example, mm. to prevent chlorosis or yellowing of the leaves in limestone areas. But we are more than happy to talk about granite and limestone and slate mm. and schist. <laughs> Just like that word. That I had to keep properly. that in. Yes, well, no, it's good, it's good, it's good word. Yeah, you know, I actually did quiz Alex about limestone in particular, which is, you know, 
as we know, it's often revered, isn't it, in wine circles mm. as the ultimate wine bedrock. But, you know, he said in, in his view, this was geological happenstance. You know, in other words, it just so happens that much of what are now Europe's classic wine regions in you know, France, Spain, Italy, they're on limestone. So people confuse cause and effect. And anyway, he says limestone soils vary enormously. So it's a mistake to conflate them all. Plus, although it's good in terms of drainage and sort of moderate water retention capacity, it's also not ideal, for example, in terms of pH or nutrient availability. You know, he said it's a good soil. It's certainly got pedigree, but it's not ideal. There's no evidence that it produces better wines than, say, granite or schist or anything else. And that's or quoting Alex. anything else. That's quoting Alex that's directly or from... Or anything else. Yeah, well, mm, yeah. That's an If that's his quote, yes, yeah. Mm. And I think that might raise a few eyebrows mm. in the wine world. And mm. um, he was also very Im- interesting, I thought, about the, the importance of yeasts in mm. determining yeah. wine flavour as compared to soil slash geology. Mm. And, and so that leads us on to our next interviewee, doesn't it? It does indeed. So coming up, we're going to hear Dr. Hirtjan Wies on how yeast has much more of an impact on wine style than soil. To recap so far, it seems the importance of geology and soil is exaggerated and overhyped in wine, causing confusion and misconceptions, whereas other less glamorous or obvious factors may be playing more of a role than we care to recognise. Nevertheless, science continues to investigate and throw up intriguing results. Okay, so Dr. Hirt Jan Viss works Mm. with the Geological Survey of the Netherlands. He's a wine lover who remembers his parents taking him to visit German vineyards and driving home with his knees up around his ears because of all the (laughs) cases of wine under his feet. Uh, Later on, his geological training took him to wine regions in Europe and so he began to wonder about the connection between geology and wine. Mm. And then fortuitously his work gave him the opportunity to explore this link at a time around 2012-2013 when wine production in his homeland the Netherlands was starting to to grow. So he hooked up with respected Dutch winemaker and consultant Stan or Stan uh, Burskens to set up experiments to study and compare the effect of different soils and geology on wine style and the effect of different yeasts on wine style. Now, they took two wine-growing regions in the Netherlands, South Limburg and Achterhoek, and chose five different sites with significant soil variation. Uh, carbonate rocks, loess, fluvial deposits and wind-blown sands are what they cite in their abstract. For the soil study, they used two different grape varieties, Oxawa and Johannita, uh, which is a Riesling, Riesling hybrid. And then for the yeast study, they used three different yeasts on fruit from the same plot. Yeah, now it's important to say from the outset that Hityan acknowledges the experiments weren't free from compounding variables. You know, they only had a certain budget and time available. So the vineyards they studied, for example, are many kilometres apart. So climate and microclimate varied as well as soil. But all grapes were harvested on the same date. The wines were made in the same way and differences in sugar levels in the must were corrected in the winery to be the same. You know, and as he rightly says, it's extremely hard to design an experiment to study these issues that is totally free from variables. You know, it would be fiendishly complex, take years. And as he said, you know, the wine industry isn't exactly going to fund it. And as that's pretty much the nub of the matter, uh, we asked, what did they do? And what were the results in terms of soils and their effect on the wines? So what we did, so we had these wines made in small containers of 25 litres volume. Um, They were bottled in the end. The wines were bottled and they were shipped to Neustadt in Germany. 
where there's an institute where they have, as we, as I always say, calibrated Germans. And those calibrated Germans, they taste the wine objectively. So they are in these uh, white, in a white room with a computer screen. And uh, as an example, they open one of the bottles, they smell and they taste what is in it, and they make standard samples. So if they, they smell citric, citric acid or citrus, they make a standard wine. And then the, our wine is compared to the standard and the tasting person scales it from zero to 10 for all the different tastes or smells, smells that are in the wine. And in that way, all the wines were tasted and they got them twice, but they didn't know because it's all blind. And that resulted in a huge table uh, with results, with, with uh, zero to 10 scalings. And they are plotted in these aroma wheels. It's kind of a pie chart. Uh, and the larger the pie shape, the more uh, present is, is that taste. And uh, for Yoksura, they were not able to do the experiment because they were all so similar from the different soils. We had four Oxera, one failed in the production. So in the end, we had three different Oxera wines from three different different locations. And the uh, the tasters couldn't find any difference. So we have we have made one aroma wheel, which is in the book, just to show what was in it, but there was no difference. And then the Johanniter, we had from many more locations. And uh, there, there, if you look at it, you can have a look in the book. The differences are really small. And the differences that are there, we could trace back to the ripeness at harvest. So the ones that are have, uh, one or two dominant flavors or smells were less ripe. That's what we saw. So one of our conclusions was from this that uh, soil is much less important than ripeness at harvest. How important overall, in your conclusions, were the effects of soil on wine quality and style? We would say minor. I mean, our our conclusion would, was that, okay, of course the soil matters because the plant needs to do well. It needs to uh, be able to get the nutrients it needs from the soil. So an important, a good soil with the right nutrients, also micronutrients, which is really important, uh, the right acidity, uh, enough water, but not too much. And all those things, of course, very important, but they do not do not specifically seem to affect uh, the taste of the wine because they were variable and they, they didn't show up clearly at all. You also looked at the difference that yeasts make. What, what did you find there? Well, that was actually quite spectacular because in that experiment, so we made three different wines uh from the same grape from the same plot with three different yeasts and those aroma wheels are completely different each of them they don't compare at all so the the used yeast that makes an enormous difference so that is another one of our conclusions so apart from ripeness uh the used yeast the chosen yeast is much more important in the uh, in the end result of a wine when compared to soil, because you just don't discern the difference of soil in the wine in our experiment. And yet we talk a lot about geology and soil in the wine community. We don't actually talk that much about yeast. No, 
that's quite, I think that's quite unsexy. If you look at the names of the yeast, you can hardly, there's sometimes just a number code. So yeah, that is just not very, uh, not a very romantic or tangible topic. Romantic or tangible is very interesting. Although the topic of yeast is becoming a bit more sexy now in the sense of talking about using wild yeast rather than mm -hmm. selected or cultured yeast. And also in the, in the topic of microbiology of site, uh, of us understanding that actually some of the character of wines might be down to the, the microbiology in the soil and in the air that gets into the ferments. Um, so is, is, is the use of geology and its terminology, is it just, is it pure hype in wine without basis? Is it just a marketing tool? I think it is for a large part indeed just a marketing tool. Yeah. Because also if you if you go through scientific literature, I mean, it, we are not able to taste the minerals that some people believe you can taste first. Second, the plant usually only takes those minerals from the soil that it needs to build its plant and its 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 stems and its fruit. Uh so if if a wine a plant is growing in a soil full of uh, flintstone. Some winemakers or some some writers claim that you can taste the minerality in the wine, and that is absolutely because of the of the silica of the of the flint in the soil. Well, it's bollocks, really, because <laughs> silica doesn't dissolve easily. Silica doesn't have taste. Uh, I mean, the bottle is also silica, and the glass is also silica. And no one thinks that it tastes like that. So, uh, yeah, I just don't believe it. <laughs> and it's not even that, that that I don't believe it. The science doesn't support it. Do you think, would you have been able or willing to write this book if you'd been part of the wine community? You know, Do, do, do you think it almost needed an outsider to do this research and, and publish these findings? Well, perhaps. I've never thought about this. Uh, as I said, Stan Burkens, who is one of the co-authors of our book, is a winemaker himself. He's really knowledgeable. He's seen a lot of winemaking in the world, all over the world. Uh, and he is himself critical. So he maybe he's an exception. I, actually, I'm quite sure he's an exception. He, he gets a lot of critique from other winemakers. Not so much in the Netherlands. But, but yes, I think most people critical of this concept are a bit outsiders. So it's probably uh, right. But do you think ultimately outside. it would benefit wine to be honest about this to and to work with this to find out what is influencing wine and, and yeah. work on and communicate those instead? Yeah, and I think some people say you're you're destroying the romantics of wine by by telling this story. And I think, well, why are we being closing our eyes for the facts? Uh, what is and we're not doing that for other kinds of food because for other kinds of foods people are very critical about what's in it and how it's done and how it's made and how it's done on wine uh, european law doesn't even uh, oblige to put on what you put in only sulfides so i think there's much more to it i mean i love wine so i won't say uh, don't drink wine or whatever but i think why should we be over romantic and not look at facts and actually, it's quite interesting to understand because it's a fascinating liquid, this wine, and how all this variety comes into the taste and how it works is actually a very fascinating topic. And I think being open about it and communicating about it also as a winemaker, I think makes it much, much more interesting than selling romantic bullocks. <laughs> Cheers to that, Jan. Thank you very much indeed. You're welcome.
I think this is a really key point. Being a proper wine lover is about questioning things, asking what actually makes wines different, mm. what's mm. really happening in the soil or air or vine or winemaking to make a wine taste like it does. Mm. And yeah. if we need to challenge or reject certain views, well, so be it. Um, either way, we should keep an open mind. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, as, as Hit Young would, would admit, you know, this wasn't a perfect study or experiment. You know, maybe Oksawa and, and Johanita aren't the best grapes to elucidate soil or terroir. And, and there certainly are many confounding variables, as we said. But at the same time, the results are intriguing, aren't they? Mm. I mean, you know... They really the, are, yeah. In, in their abstract, they say, this implies that from virtually any soil, a high-quality wine can be made. Uh, the use of geology to promote the quality of a wine is thus merely a marketing tool. <laughs> and yet these results, you know, which they published in 2016, I think, you know, haven't really been discussed in, in mainstream wine circles. I, I wasn't the book published in Dutch, though. Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> it was. There's only it certain was, people are going was, to be able to read it that. It was, which may be one reason. It's also now out of print, I think. Uh, though Hit uh, Jan did tell me he was considering publishing a paper on it, which I which I encouraged him to do. But you know, I, I do also wonder, which is why I asked him about being a wine outsider. If wine people just don't want to engage with this, you know, the geology sounds sexy, so let's go with that. You know, it's cool. It's there. We can see it. It's a persuasive marketing message too. You know winemaking can be copied all around the world. Climates can be perceived as similar all around the world. But your soil and your geology, in combination with the above, can be presented as unique. Mm. It's a USP, you know, and it's more compelling than getting into slightly more unromantic topics, as you said, like microbiology or microclimate or all these other things. But we are going to make, this is our challenge, we are going to make microbiology sexy and interesting in an upcoming episode, <laughs> aren't try. we? Are We're we? going to try. We are. Definitely we are. Try. Um, because... I, well, whatever, whether it's sexy or not, it is an absolutely fascinating topic um, and one that's at the forefront of scientific research right now. And, you know, it does seem like there may be a link between this microbiology and geology, as we've mentioned, and also the, the resulting wine style. Mm. So, yeah. yeah and I think really. this, is, this is the thing. When you start asking difficult questions, it can open up, you know, constructive topics. Mm, um, so perhaps, perhaps we shouldn't be focusing quite so much on geology and instead working to understand and appreciate the less obvious, less tangible stuff like yeasts, like site microbiome, like humus well said well said <laughs> and microclimate Try not um, to too, uh, at the same time <laughs> with your dip <laughs> um and this this is all good because fundamentally this is about nature and processes and that's worth taking the time to get to grips with and ultimately preserve and nurture on this amazing planet of ours yeah well said well said so you know i think this sets us up quite nicely for our forthcoming episodes as we mentioned at the start um i imagine we'll get a fair bit of feedback after this one so please do remember we're not having a go at anyone in particular we're just asking these questions instigating a conversation but you know please do get in touch if you'd like to have your say now we'll put our contact details on our show notes as well as links to the various publications we've mentioned we may also in due course publish the full interviews with alex mm -hmm. and hit Jan as a subscriber benefit when we actually get around to setting that up mm -hmm. in the meantime uh, you know thanks for your positive feedback on on that front yeah so there we have it don't believe the hype about the role geology and soil have to play in wine, but do keep a questioning and open mind. There is wonder here too. Thanks to Alex, thanks to Hit Jan, and thanks to you for listening. Until next time, cheers. Yeah.